Well, good morning, church. Good to see everybody this morning. Hey, I want to begin by telling you one of the most memorable times of my life, one of the most embarrassing times of my life, okay? Can I trust y'all? All right, even while the camera rolls. So here's the deal. It involves, it, now, my sister, which is no surprise. Some of y'all know Pam. She's my older sister. Growing up, she was a majorette. You all remember what majorettes are? They twirl the batons. Lots of memories of that. I remember her practicing uh, in the house at home. I remember one time she lost it. It hit my granddad in the mouth, knocked his dentures out. You know, we had a lot of, a lot of good times around majorette stuff. But uh, hey, she became in the Red Coat Marching Band at Georgia. And uh, yeah, yeah, go dogs. Finally, that was a little bit questionable. So here's what happened is in recent years, for some odd reason only known to Pam, uh, she has chosen to participate in this group called Twilight Twirlers. Now, yeah, I know. And so, uh, yeah, Twilight, I guess, denotes the season of life in which they find themselves. Not to say anything about Pam. But um, so, listen, a few years ago, something remarkable happened. America's Got Talent was coming to Atlanta to the Cobb Energy Center, and ring, ring, the phone went off, and somehow AGT approached the Twilight Twirlers to come audition, okay? They must have seen them at some local parade. <laughs> oh. Anyway, <laughs> so Pam was excited, and uh, the only thing was Ronnie, who just played acoustic, he, he couldn't get off work, and neither of her boys could get off work. Well, me being the nice, humble, loving brother of hers, uh, decided that I would take enough time to just run over there, watch the audition, you know, to support her if nobody else is clapping, and uh, then I'd scoot back to work. Well, I got there, and as I'm walking up, there's this crowd of people uh, later to find out that 90% of them was being paid. And I had this lady run up to me, and she had a clipboard, and she said, okay, you got to come over here and stand right here. We're getting ready for the limousine to come here. And she started telling me all these things I had to do. And I'm like, what is going on here? And so all of a sudden, the limo pulled up and out stepped, ready, ladies, David Hasselhoff. Ooh, yes, David Hasselhoff. And then Sharon Osbourne, and then Pierce Morgan, and of course, she had to come over and remind me, listen, listen, you gotta jump up and down. You're trying to, you know, pretend for the camera because the cameras were rolling. You gotta pretend for the camera that you want him to come over and shake your hand or touch you or get your autograph, get his autograph or something. And I'm like, okay, okay, David, David. <laughs> and so it's like, and so they went in and then all of a sudden they took up our cell phones and they said, here are the rules that you've got to agree to when you come in. We're going to seat you. You're going to be here for four hours. You can't leave during that time because this is a TV production. And I'm like, what? What? And this is the question I ask. How did this happen? And so all of a sudden, they whisk us in. I'm up on the balcony right here, right where the camera angle was getting a good shot of me, okay? And so then they, they shoot all this stuff, the filler stuff, and so they were like teaching us. We had to stand up and with great vigor say, X them, X them. So they'd hit the bong, you know, and then they'd have, send them, send them. Okay, here we're doing it. And then finally they hit the bottom of the barrel. They said, here's the, the uh, MC 
Jerry Springer. And all of a sudden, they said, okay, guys, we need some real good, lively shots. Are you ready? We need to hear everybody say, Jerry, Jerry. And so all of a sudden, I'm like, and so all of a sudden, the camera, boom, comes and does a close-up on me. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Local pastors, secret life revealed on national TV. More details at 6. So four hours later, oh, by the way, Pam was the second to audition the Twilight Twirlers for about 30 seconds, and they got the X's, and then they left. Four hours later, I get to leave. I am in the car calling Pam saying, well, hey, sis, what you doing? And she said, oh, they fed us a snack, and I've been back to the office a couple hours. I said, well, I'm just now leaving. And just to let you know, you owe me like, the rest of your life, okay? <laughs> it was like, how did this happen, right? Have you ever had those? I know you have. It's like, how did this happen? This is not me, and I find myself in this, and I don't know quite how I got here. Well, what we want to look at this morning is we want to look at the last six months and what it has done to us as Christians, okay? I was so excited. Six months, no, I wasn't excited. That's a wrong expression. I thought that, that um, Romans 8, 28, 29, James 1, 2, 3, I thought this is going to be amazing. This is going to be like 911 when everybody packed the churches. It's going to have this spiritual significance. It's going to be amazing how God is going to work. And here we are over six months later, just the opposite has happened. All of a sudden, do you know that Satan has been working his strategy and I'm afraid that we as Christians have been sucked into it? We have shown our ugly selves, our grumpy selves, really on social media a lot, complaining about the media, about masks, no masks, school, no school, about politics. So all of a sudden, our actions, our words, our attitudes have become judgmental and divisive both among Christians and non-Christians. And the question is, is this what the church is to be about during this season of time? So this morning, of course, God knows, omnipotent, he's all-knowing, he, he knows that this is going to happen. He, and he's given a scripture to look at. And so this morning, turn, if you would, in whatever device or the Bible, if you happen to have the Bible in printed form, to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We're going to look at Romans chapter 2, 12, verse 2. I want to give a shout out to those online. You know, this is the last weekend of Paulding break and the first weekend of Cobb break. Perfect storm there for folks to, to be out and about. For those tuning in, thanks for, for uh, coming and joining us. Uh, for those who aren't able to get out yet because of health reasons, uh, we look forward to the day that you can. And for those folks who are checking out Burn Hickory, hey, listen, this is a great place to be. All right, we encourage that. So listen, let's look at Romans 12, 2 together. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How many of y'all want to know what God's will is for your life? You know, I love to disciple people, and I find that's the number one question that people deal with. How do I know 
what God's will is for my life at this point. Now let's, let's pause for just a moment of prayer. Father, thank you this morning. And uh, you, you clearly laid this on my heart and wanted me to share this this morning. And so, Father, I pray that uh, you have prepared us for this moment, that you prepare our hearts now to receive your word in a way that it might produce fruit, that this wouldn't just be something to check off our list coming to church, but that you would stir our hearts with your Holy Spirit. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, I want us to look at three key words in this verse, conformed, world, and transformed, those three words, okay? Those are key. And uh, the first thing that God tells us here is don't be conformed to this world. It's a warning. It's a, it's a command. Something about this world. And so the first thing we want to look at is that this world is a spiritual battleground. And who is at the root of it? All Satan is. So this is a spiritual battleground with Satan as the root. Let me remind you. Satan was an angel. He was a cherubim. He was cast down with a third of the angels. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now his objective when he's here on earth is to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. In Revelation 12, what a great passage that explains the deceit that Satan uses. It says, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Underline that. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. But listen, Satan is not on the same level of God. He is not the arch rival. He is a created being, okay? He does not possess the attributes that God possesses. So in Ephesians 6, 10, we're told that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is a spiritual battle. And he tells us in that, that Satan is highly organized and he talks about the schemes of Satan. If you look at the Greek origin, it's the word methods. So Satan, since he can't be everywhere, like he doesn't come and just knock on each one of your doors in the course of the day. He, he doesn't have time for that and he, and he can't be everywhere at once like God can. So he has to be very strategic and methodical how he is going to steal, kill, and destroy. But you can bet this one thing, that his objective will always be to render Christians powerless and defeated. And the reason he wants us like that is because he wants to keep non-Christians from coming to know Christ because he thinks that robs God of his glory, okay? So that's his objective. Now, the second thing I want us to realize is that Satan's goal is to suck you into his plan, okay? You gotta know that. So let's look at ways he's been doing that in the six months. First of all, if he is a master strategist, listen to his strategy. He has wanted during this season to isolate you, to isolate people and to bring hardships because he knows when they're isolated, that leaves for a very, very difficult time. He wants to distract you. He wants to keep us as believers from getting together. He wants to polarize your thoughts and your views from others. 
And then he wants to provide a, a real easy way for you to, to express yourself without even thinking before you start typing. And those are real cool strategies that he uses. As a liar, and he is the father of lies, we're told, he wants you to feel hopeless and helpless. He wants you to feel confused and frustrated. And he wants you to feel angry. And as a deceiver, he doesn't want to be on your radar. In fact, he would love it if the world didn't even believe in him. Because if we don't see him on our radar, then he wants us to see people as our problem, not him behind this deceit and lies. So through that deceit, he wants you to be at odds and quarrel with other believers so we're not united as Jesus prayed for us to be, and he wants to target our anger and our judgmental attitude toward lost people so they will never see God's love in us. Because of his strategy, and now listen, guys, this is how it has worked. And, and like the old preachers where I come from in the country, they used to say, can I get an amen or an oh me? Because it's a two-edged sword. And, you know, I, I asked God. I said, God, when he laid this in my heart, I, I lost some sleep. And I said, God, that's, that's a kind of a, that's a, these guys, they were the ones, at least not you on the camera, you may be in a fun place right now. These guys are the ones, they have taken a Sunday morning, a fall break, and they have decided to come to church. And now they get this heavy message. And I struggled with that. And God just reminded me, listen, you're just the message, boy. I'm the message. I'm, I give the message. You just deliver it. And so as a result, let me tell you what, guys, because Satan's deception and traps have been so effective, here's what we do. We lose track that Satan is our enemy, and all of a sudden, we think that Nancy Pelosi is our enemy, or we think Donald Trump is our enemy, or we think the Democrat Party is the enemy, or the Republican Party is the enemy. We forget that Satan is the enemy, and we think that uh, Dr. Fauci is the enemy or the overcautious medical community or we think those people who don't wear a mask and take it seriously that they're the enemy or we think CNN and the mainstream media is the enemy or Fox News is the enemy or that the Black Lives Matter organization is 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 the enemy or that the police officers that protect us they're the enemy and so what happens as a result of targeting our anger toward each other rather than where it should be directed towards Satan, we are falling right into his trap. And God calls this being conformed to the world. So what happens, guys, and it's a tough one for us to take, but there is disunity and fighting among believers. Do you know we have had to step in and, I, and we have a great church Y'all are a godly group of people. We have to step in when people in our congregation get into a disagreement on social media. That's not even biblical. There are biblical steps if you have a difference with someone else and it is not to be fought in the public arena. There's a way that honors God and that is not it. We have seen disunity not only in a local church body, but we now fight between denominations and then we have brothers and sisters in Christ that we will be spending eternity in heaven with from different races, different cultures, different nationalities, and we now have disunity and fighting with them. 
And in John 17, that was the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. He spent time and he prayed for his disciples. He prayed that, that they would be united. And then he prayed for us, the future believers, that we would be united, that the world would know. And here we are at one of the greatest opportunities in our lifetime for a spiritual revival and awakening, and the Christians are being caught right in the middle of the web of deceit that Satan has laid for us. And because of the infighting, now all of a sudden, the non-believers look at us and they think that we have a greater allegiance toward a political figure or a political party than we do Jesus Christ himself and the church of Jesus. And guys, this is, it's, it's a heavy message, but they see us as full of anger rather than love, compassion, and justice. And what's so funny, and it's not funny, but we have this scripture we always go back to. It makes for a great, you know, meme, a great posting is 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And we claim that, and then what we do is we, we call for solemn assembly. We get on our face, and what we start doing is we start praying for the sins that the world is committing. Now, the only problem with that is we forget to deal with the sins in our own life. Oh, and by the way, in scriptures, 1 Corinthians 5 says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. See, here's the deal. We look and we see disgusting things going on in the world, and it is disgusting. Well, what we think is we think that they should be acting in a way that honors God. We think that they should be acting as Christians when we as Christians have a hard time acting as Christians. And then what happens is we are told in scriptures that in 2 Corinthians that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So guys, listen, you cannot win an argument, a spiritual argument with a lost person. I got news for you. You'll never win that because Scripture tells us that they are spiritually appraised and that those without Christ do not have the Spirit of God living in them to where they can understand it. So quit trying to win spiritual arguments, quit trying to polarize people who don't have the living God inside them as your enemy because who is the enemy? The people? The people are not your enemy. Satan is the enemy. He is the deceiver. He is the one that is deceiving people. And by the way, we were talking this in our life group uh, last week. We were talking about, is it easy to, to live the Christian life? And um, so we're doing the study by Eugene Peterson, and Peterson said, yes, it is. And we're like, man, I wouldn't say it is. And then we started talking about that. And then uh, we talked about that, like, during this pandemic, it really is not easy. And then one of us spoke up who had come to Christ as an adult in recent years, and she, with great transparency said, listen. Being lost in this, it's ridiculously confusing and it doesn't make sense and there's no hope and there's a lot of fear. And what happens, guys, is we forget. 
We forget that lost people who don't have Christ, they don't have the hope and the assurance that we do, man, they are, they are as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. They, they don't know how to react like this. And you know what they're going to act like? They're going to act like sinners. You know why? Because they are. They're acting out their nature. You're not going to win an argument with them by posting stuff on Facebook. i got news for you. The question is, like, when you position yourself in arguments on Facebook, wherever it is, when you position yourself, are you positioning yourself to have a greater influence with your lost neighbors, coworkers, and associates? Or are you throwing up more barriers in front of them? What is the greatest gain that we can make during this? Is it making sure that we get the right Supreme Court justice or the right president? I'm not minimizing the importance of those, but if that's where we're placing our hopes, then our hopes are misplaced. Because as believers, there is only victory through Jesus, and he can break down all strongholds. So... What's to happen then? Well, 1 Peter 4, 17 has some pretty hard language because it says, it is time for judgment to begin in the household of the Lord. That's where judgment begins is with us, guys. The problem is, as the world gets darker, we feel better about ourselves. And all of a sudden, we forget <laughs> that we're pretty dirty with sin. And it may be, it's what I call good flesh. It's not the stuff that looks bad. I mean, after all, you're in church this morning, man. But listen, that leads to, that leads to pride, arrogance, lack of humility, judgmental spirit, just like the Pharisees if you don't watch it. So we have to watch ourselves. So secondly, Satan wants to take us, suck us into his traps. Third, God wants to free us and transform us from Satan's traps. Amen. Marty, let's get, some, let's get some happier stuff. Those others are kind of heavy. I agree. Okay, let's, let's remember these three things, four things. The battles for your mind, that's the first thing. That's why it needs to be transformed. Here you are thinking people are the problem or organizations are the problem. They're not. Satan is the one behind those. I assure you, the Bible assures you. Secondly, transformation happens from the inside out. You can't transform yourself However, the third thing is, is that we must take the responsibility for controlling what our mind receives from the outside in, okay? Now, and so let's go there. Let's go there. So let's go over some steps, six steps for victory in this. The first is repentance. We must come to, because listen, guys, if you don't need repentance, then you don't need God's grace. I'm afraid we as believers cheapen God's grace because we don't think we really need it. The world needs it, sinners needs it, but we don't put ourselves in that category. Repentance, the second one is get rid of the junk to which you expose your mind. And you know what? This is clearly one of Satan's strategies to increase the noise during this time. Do you know during this pandemic, statistics say that we have spent eight hours a day streaming shows on TV? It said the average family has watched three complete series per week from Netflix, per week. We spend two, these are adult, adults have spent two, the number for uh, students is much higher. 
the time adults spend two and a half hours per day on social media. The news viewership has spiked, not just CNN, Fox. The evening news was just about to die and go away. All of a sudden now it has been revived. And we all know how positive the news is, right? <laughs> right. If you want to be encouraged, turn it on. Do you know how many times in a day we check our phone study show? I think this is really conservative based on my observations. We check our phones 10 minutes, every, once every 10 minutes, 96 times a day. I think it's more than that. But every 10 minutes, we have a need to check it, regardless of whether we have a call, text, or anything. We default to that. That's part of who we are now, is we check our phone. And then, and this is a very sad one, and you don't hear, you will not hear about this, online pornography has spiked. The revenues coming in from online pornography exceed exceed all of the National Sports League and Netflix, Hulu combined. And this pandemic has driven people to more noise and more junk. So second, we gotta get rid of the junk, but third, we've gotta replace the junk with good stuff. Now, good stuff is God stuff, okay? Now, I'm not talking like, okay, yeah, I finally quit listening to Rush because, he, you know, Rush Limbaugh because my blood pressure got too high, and now I listen to sports radio. Huh? Junk for more junk, okay? I mean, in God's eyes. Do I like to listen to either one of those sometimes? Yeah, listen. If that's all you get, you're starving yourself spiritually. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, by my paraphrase, is blessed is one who doesn't just listen to all the junk going on in people's lives and in the world, but in verse two, whose delight is the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. There's two spiritual disciplines that have fallen by the wayside in our lifetime. The first one is fasting and the second one is meditation. Fasting is not just about food. It's about those things which have a control on our lives. Now, I know, I know, I know. You say, I know. That's why I'll go dark from Facebook for a while. Okay. What do you replace it with? Another networks, uh, Netflix series? What do you, you got to replace it with something. You got to replace it with good stuff, which is God stuff. It's not just more junk from the world because that's what Satan wants you and me to do. You know, I did an experiment Pam and I uh, take turns going up, mother's uh, checking on mother. And so uh, going one way, I decided, okay, I'm going to listen to all news. I'm going to listen to all this. And, and, so, uh, and then coming back, I'm going to listen to more praise worship music. I'm going to take, in fact, a few years ago, a couple of my accountability brothers, we use Navigator's scripture memorization. I highly recommend it. You can get paper form. The app is excellent. Where we were memorizing a couple of scripture passages each week. We did like 66 of those. And you know what happens when you start uh, memorizing? And you know, I love to disciple people. The instant I mention memorize scripture, you know what adults say? Oh, I can't memorize. Uh, you don't want to go there. You just, we've gotten lazy spiritually. We like to be spoon-fed. I, I want to come and let, and let Matt, you know, he's been doing an incredible job preaching, or, or I'm a Sunday school life group. I'm going to let other people disciple me. 
but it's time for us to take our own responsibility because you know what I've found myself doing as I memorized is that you find yourself when you're commuting, you're doing it. You find yourself putting notes on your desk, on your mirrors, and all of a sudden you find yourself, you're not memorizing as much as you're meditating. You begin getting more and more. It's like, it's kind of gross, but cow analogy uh, with cud. You know how they do that? Students, y'all know how they do the cows and the cud. They can, they can just make cud last all day. They just bring it back up and chew on it some more. It's kind of gross, isn't it? Yeah, I know. But that's the way they do. Anyway, but scripture memory, if you're a good warrior, how many of y'all are good warriors? Okay. Those same skill sets that, that good, make for good warriors make excellent scripture meditation people. And again, you're replacing bad with what God wants you to meditate on. All of a sudden, you're putting yourself in a position for God to transform you. Transform in the scriptures is the same root word that Matt's been preaching on with the transfiguration. It's metamorphosis. Let him metamorphosize, is that a word? Your mind by you putting yourself in the right position for him to do that. So we need to take the responsibility there. The, the fourth thing is, guys, it's time for us to step up and take responsibility to take every thought captive. The scripture says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We should be so full of the Holy Spirit that we are so sensitive that when there is something that is dishonoring to him that it bothers us and we take it captive and we take it back to the foot of the cross because he was nailed on the cross for those very things. When we take those and start dwelling on them, then all we're doing is we're going back and putting the nails right back in Jesus' hands and feet. And it was for freedom that he set us free. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, whatever is lovely, or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. You know, that's a great filter for us to use. In the course of a day, when you start encountering junk, take it back through this filter. Print this out, post it different places. Take that as your filter as to what you're taking into your mind. Number five, guys, begin unifying with other believers. And not just doing social stuff. I mean, I love life group socials, but coming together to confess, to pray together, to lovingly reach the lost. Do you know, and I know as Protestants, we feel uh, glad that we don't have to go to the priest and do confession. But James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another that you may be, what? Healed. There is a part of healing that goes on when we come together with other brothers or sisters in Christ and confess those things that have gripped our life and gripped our heart. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. We need to see the brothers and sisters in Christ at our workplace, in our neighborhood, who don't look like us. They may be different denominations, different nationalities, cultures, races. We need to begin spending time with them, asking them if we can pray together with them. 
There's power in coming together at the foot of the cross and praying together because we have to begin being unified within the body of Christ. Jesus said, by this, everyone will, you, will know you are my disciple if you what? Love one another. That is a characteristic of disciples of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 says, for though we live in this world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, they're not the weapons of the world, guys. If you're so caught up in worldly wars that are going on, you're going to miss the bigger picture. On the contrary, what we fight with, we, they have divine power, not temporary worldly power, divine power to do what? Demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The last thing is that we need to pray that God breaks our heart over lost people and that God places believers in strategic places to redeem and to reclaim this culture for God's glory. This is his desire. You know, just in our congregation alone, in, in the sphere of education, we have a school superintendent, we have principals, we have teachers, we have university officials. In the area of public servants, we have the police chief, we have officers, we have the fire department officers, we have military officers, we have medical doctors and nurses and medical professionals, we have business uh, CEOs, we have small business owners, we have professionals, we have lawyers, we have real estate professionals, we have political officials, we have community volunteers, we have entertainers, and we have social media influencers. Guys, it's time for us to start freeing the church to make a significant impact. But we can't if we're living like the world, if we see people as the enemy, and then as Christians, if we run and hide from it out of fear. We've got to make a difference. We've got to see people as Jesus does. One of the most significant verses that appeals to me in the Bible is Matthew 9, 36. Jesus, he was walking. He looked and he saw the crowds. And how did he respond? Did he respond like we do when we see him on the news? With disdain and disgust and ask God to take him out? Jesus did just the opposite. He responded with compassion because he saw them, they were harassed, they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Guys, that's what, how people are living right now without Christ. And you know how God chooses to reach those people? He has plan A and that is through us and there is no plan B. So if we're joining in the world, then we're being conformed and we're falling into Satan's traps. Let me share a story to close with. This is a story that Pastor Mike has shared in the past. It's one of my favorites. I've got to share it again. But uh, there was a pastor named Tony Campolo. I remember hearing him uh, in person one time. It was a powerful message. But uh, Tony was traveling out to Hawaii to speak at a church. He got in there late, couldn't fall asleep, decided to go out to get him something to eat. He found a little donut shop that was open. And uh, so he went there. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. And when he was there about 3 o'clock, uh, probably about 3.30, then all of a sudden, 
there were a number of ladies that walked in, and they began seating, sitting in the bar around him. And then all of a sudden, he started hearing their uh, swearing and their smoking, their rough language, as it was a group of prostitutes that had come in. And the question he asked was, how did this happen? He was trying to figure out how to get out of there when all of a sudden the lady sitting next to him said, you know what, tomorrow's my birthday. And uh, her friend sitting, she said, I'll be 38 or 39. The friend sitting next to her said, well, yeah, well, what do you want me to do, throw you a party? And, and the lady said, no, you don't have to be so ugly. She said, I was just making a statement. You don't have, I, I've never had a birthday party. Why start now? Well, Tony heard that and it pricked his heart. And after they left, he approached the, uh, the guy who, who owned the diner and he said, hey, do those ladies come in here every night? The owner looked back and said, yeah, like clockwork. And he said, uh, did you hear the one say she's never had a birthday party? And the owner said, yeah, her name is Agnes. And Tony said, how about we throw her a party tomorrow night? And the owner said, I think that's a good idea. He hollered at his wife in the kitchen, honey, this guy wants to throw Agnes a birthday party tomorrow. You think we can put together a cake? And his wife said, yeah, we can do that. She's a nice lady. She's always tried to help others. So the next night at 2 o'clock, Tony shows up. He's got crepe paper. He hangs up to decorate. He's made a cardboard sign that says, happy birthday, Agnes. About 3 o'clock, all of a sudden, Tony found out that the owner of the cafe had invited the other ladies in Honolulu to come. They show up. So you've got all the prostitutes in Honolulu in this little place. And at 3.30, in walks Agnes with her friend. Everybody jumped up and said, happy birthday, Agnes. Agnes was astounded. Her mouth dropped open. Her legs almost buckled as tears came to her eyes. They brought the birthday cake out with candles. And they said, blow out the candles, Agnes. Blow out the candles and cut the cake. And she finally got herself together. And she looked down at the cake. And without taking her eyes off of it, she said, look, Harry. And Harry was the owner of the diner. If it's OK, I mean, um, if it's all right, can I keep the cake just a little while so we don't eat it right away? And Harry was like, sure, that's fine. You can take it home if you want to. And she said, oh, could I? And she looked at Tony and she said, I just live a couple of doors. I said, okay, if I run it home, I'll be right back. She left. She carried it like the Holy Grail as she went out. The place was stunned. Tony, not knowing quite what to do, stood up on the chair and he said, ladies, thanks for, for joining us tonight for Agnes's birthday. Can I lead us in a prayer? <laughs> and so there he was, and he prayed that God would work in Agnes's life and that her life would be changed and that she would experience the love of God. And when he finished, Harry looked over and he said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to anyway? And it's in one of those moments, Tony thought, and he said, you know, 
I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry, he thought for a moment and he said, no, you don't. There ain't no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. Yep, I'd join a church like that. Let's bow our heads. Let me just ask you just to um, ask God to examine your heart for a moment. Have you found yourself trapped in the strategies of Satan? Do you, do you find yourself disgusted, not, not with Satan as much as you are with the social media, with, with media in general, with political positions, with people who have different opinions than you? Would you ask God to just see people as he does and that you'd come together with other believers and enter the spiritual battle of prayer, fasting, meditation, that you'd be willing to leave the 99 for the one and that your eyes would be open to see the spiritual battle that's going on in our culture. Would you pray for those seated around you this morning? Those of you who are online, would you pray for those who live around you? Would you commit to examine the junk that you've exposed yourself to? Would you, would you see how to place God and His Word at the center of your life to be the light on the hill, to salt and light? Father, we come to you this morning and... Uh, these six months, they have not been exactly a spiritual awakening for us on this earth. Lord, may we live with our eyes open that it's not the people, that it's the deceiver, the liar that has blinded us, that has taken us into his trap where we have been an impediment rather than a bridge to a relationship with you. Lord, during our closing time, would you just solidify some things in our heart that we would first be absolutely surrendered to you and live at the foot of your cross, a life of humility, of love, of justice, and that we would be living it out, Father, in a way that brings you glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.